wanted to give you a glimpse of uh, what we're allowed to do. You know, to go into dark places and to take the Lord's presence with us. Because, you know, since he's inside of us, we carry his presence everywhere we go, right? You know what? This, this uh, video reminds me of David, King David. Remember when uh, he came, you know, every, all the Israelites, the warriors were out there. The mighty men of God were out there hiding behind rocks and stuff because this, this giant was out threatening and saying, here, send your, send your champion out. And they were so impressed with that Goliath, that giant. And they were like, oh, my goodness, this dude is huge. He's massive. He's strong. He'll break me in half. And then this little kid comes out there, this little teenager, 12, 13, 14. We're not sure how old he was. Anywhere between 12 and 16, let's say. And he comes out and he sees this guy making all this noise. And he kind of gets irritated. He's like, do you guys hear what this man is saying? He's, he's mocking our God. And see, David was so impressed with God. And his view of God in comparison to this giant is like there's no competition, no comparison. But see, the men, the Israelites, were looking at this man, this giant, and comparing themselves to him. And they were intimidated and they were afraid. And that's what we do a lot of times. We look at the circumstances. We look at the giants and compare them to us. And we see how insignificant we are, and we become fearful and intimidated and afraid. But we have to remember Jesus. He's the one we should be, be impressed with. And I am so impressed with him. You know, I've realized, and I haven't gotten to my sermon yet. I may get there. Um, Um, I've realized, you know, one thing that I don't appreciate or I don't, I'm not excited about is cancer. I know that sounds kind of dumb, but those of you who know me, I mean, I think you have an understanding of what I mean by that. Uh, how many of our loved ones it has taken out? And I realized my problem over the years, I realized this not too long ago, as I've been spending time with Jesus and just, loving on him and allowing him to change me as he's been doing. And I'm becoming so impressed with him, so impressed with him. I mean, he's just crazy amazing. You know what I mean? I mean, he's just amazing, and I can't even explain it by, with words. But I realize what my problem has been is I have been more impressed with cancer than I have with Jesus. And it's just like as soon as we hear that C word, not Christ, but cancer, fear, intimidation, oh no, not cancer. And we become so afraid and intimidated. And then even, I'm talking about me, and even when I've approached people, prayed for them, I'm still in awe of that big C. Not anymore. I am more impressed with Jesus than I am with cancer. And I just want to encourage you with that. Because just like ISIS, when you hear ISIS on the news, we hear about ISIS, oh no, oh no, oh no, and they're doing horrible things. And that's what I appreciate about this man and his team, that they're more impressed with the presence of God. And they're going right there in front, on the front lines, and setting up camp, and worshiping the king, and seeing people's lives get changed. And I just want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, that's the kind of stuff we get to do. We get to go into dark places, bring light in, and dispel darkness and see people set free, see people healed, see people delivered, see lives radically and forever changed. That's what we get to do. I don't know about you, but that excites me. That's what I get to do. I'm going to continue... Uh, message I started a couple, two weeks ago called Inception. And it's based on that movie that <clears throat> some of you might have seen. It's a movie called Inception. And basically, <clears throat> in the movie, uh, the concept of Inception basically is to plant an idea into someone's subconscious. And if that person accepts the idea, then they will embrace it and it will become the reality. 
to plant an idea into someone's subconscious. If they accept that idea, it becomes their reality. And this movie, which is kind of a crazy movie, very creative movie, but a very crazy movie. And this guy had the ability to go into people's subconscious through dream, through their dreams. And he would actually extract things from it. He would take their secrets. Like if they had the secret formula for the best chicken in South, you know, Southern, Southern Oklahoma or something like that. He could steal the secrets, sell it to his, to the competitors, and then they'd have the secret recipes and then they'd become rich and all that kind of stuff. And so he would, so he would be hired by companies to extract this information. And then this one uh, guy who was a, a energy billionaire guy, he's a big businessman, and his competitor was about to monopolize the whole market, which would have been bad news for this guy. So what he did is he hired this man named Cobbs. He said, I offer you a proposition. If you will do this for me and if you succeed at this, then I will make it so that you can come back and see your children again in America. Because of this illegal activity that this young man or this man had been participating in, he got in trouble by the law, and he was an outlaw, and so he was not allowed to come into, to the United States. And he had two children there. And so uh, we see through the movie that he's very discouraged because he can't see his kids. He loves and misses his kids. So this man had an opportunity offered to him. He said, if you will do this, then I will make it so you can see your kids again. And what this was was to go into this, his competitor's subconscious and, in, and implant this idea. Instead of taking information, he wanted to implant an idea. And that idea would be for this young man who was about to inherit his father's big corporation. And he wanted him to actually disband or sell off the company. But there's no way he was going to because that wouldn't make sense. He was about to inherit this empire. But, so he wanted Cobb to go into his subconscious and encourage this guy to sell off the company. So that was what the story was about, Inception. And then the uh, reason why I brought this up is I was, uh, a few weeks ago, I felt like the Lord told me, he says, you remember that movie, Inception? I said, yes, I remember that movie. He said, did you realize that that's a kingdom concept? That's a kingdom truth. I said, really? Are you sure about that? And then he began to give me scriptures. And he began to give me ideas. And one idea that I shared a couple of weeks ago was Gideon. Remember Gideon? In the beginning of the story, the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, mighty man of valor. And we see Gideon hiding in the wine press, you know, beating out wheat to, to, so he can have some food. He was hiding because of the enemy. The enemy was destroying Israel. So here's this mighty man of God hiding out. The angel says, mighty man of valor. You're going to, and he said, you're going to overcome, and I'm going to deliver the Midianites into your hands. And, of course, he didn't believe that. He said, are you kidding me? I'm the youngest of my family, and my clan, our family is the smallest clan, smallest family. So he, knowing his past, knowing his, his identity, he did not agree with and believe what the angel of the Lord was saying at the beginning. By the end of the story, we see that Gideon actually lives out. They defeat the Midianites and all the other enemies, and he actually walks out that mighty man of valor identity. At the beginning, he was told who he was. In the end, we see that he's actually walking it out. And I feel like the Lord was showing me that inception happened because he spoke to him, mighty man of valor. Even when Gideon didn't believe the word of the Lord to himself, he decided to partner with God. He said, okay, if, if this is you, God, then would you do this? And he he invited him to, to accept a sacrifice and all these things. And, and I don't want to go into too many details. I shared this two weeks ago. I would encourage you to listen to the, to the uh, message on the Internet. But anyway, we see right there Inception happened. And basically, what Inception is that the Lord is wanting and is doing for us is He's planting His Word inside of us as to who we are. And He wants us to come into agreement with who He says we are. But unfortunately, back in the movie, back to the movie, when Cobb and these guys would go into people's subconscious, if the person was trained to resist this kind of invasion, then what would happen is his subconscious would begin to fight off these ideas, you know, or the extraction. Someone coming into his subconscious trying to rip him off, and his subconscious would begin to fight against that. They were professionals at fighting off. And we see that with Gideon. He was a professional in deflection. When the Lord said, mighty man of valor, 
Gideon said, not me. I'm too insignificant. I'm too young. When the Lord tells us who we are, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, we say, not me. Don't you realize what I did last night? Don't you realize my past? Don't you realize? When the Lord tells us, I want you to do this, I've called you to do this, you say, well, not me. I'm afraid to get up in front of people and speak. Not me, because if you knew my past, and see, we're, we're so good at deflecting what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us. <clears throat> so inception is what the Lord wants to do in us as we allow him. And he even told me that, he says, I want you to do this with your own kids. And I shared the example because what he was showing me is, with my own children, a lot of times we can see them through the eyes of their actions, how they're acting now. And we can get frustrated with, and we can reinforce their, their bad attitudes, their negative behavior. But I said, I can't believe, why are you acting like a brat? Or why are you doing this? Or why are you doing that? You're never going to amount to anything. See, you're acting just like... And we begin to speak these things into these kids. And then when they grow up, we're surprised when they act like, just like we've told them they are all their lives. But the Lord told me, he says, I want you to speak and call out in your kids the greatness that I placed in them. And as I begin to do that, it's interesting how I've, I'm seeing their attitudes change as I'm calling them out their greatness and their awesomeness instead of pointing out their bad attitudes and their negative behavior. Now, of course, I have in training children, you have to deal with the bad behavior and the negative things. You have to deal with that. You have to train them. But I believe the Lord has a more effective way in how he wants us to do that. The Lord wants us to be transformed into the man or woman that he's designed and desires us to be. He wants to change the way we think, the way we view him, and the way we view ourselves. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. See, he wants us to be transformed, to be changed. And that word transform, I believe it's metamorpho or something like that, but it's the same word used when you see a caterpillar transform into a butterfly. He wants us to be transformed. In other words, he doesn't want us to stay the way we are. Now, he loves us how we are, but he doesn't want us to stay this way because he has greater purposes for us. But he says we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Because, see, our mind has been filled with all kinds of negative stuff. So we all have, if I were to interview every single person here, we'd be here for years, first of all. And just to hear your story... Some of us have had a pretty bad, pretty rough. You know, there's been abuse. There's been neglect. There's been all kinds of just, just stuff that we've had to put up with or deal with growing up. And as a result of that, and even not so, I mean, it didn't have to be abuse. I mean, I wasn't abused as a child, but I still had it, um, thoughts implanted in me, beliefs about myself. And because of the thoughts that we, that have been received, the inception that has already happened, we see ourselves a certain way. See, just like Gideon saw himself as insignificant because he was the youngest and because his family was the smallest. But God saw him totally different. And see, God sees you differently than you see yourself. How many of you have seen that there's a... Um, there's a picture or image or something. I, I don't know if it's on. Well, I think it's on Facebook. I think that might be where, might be where I saw it. But there's a kitten standing in front of a mirror. And the kitten's looking in his reflection, and the kitten sees a lion. How many of you guys have seen that? You know what I'm talking about? So it's a kitten sitting, I mean, just a little, or a cat maybe. And he's looking at his reflection, and he sees a big, mighty lion. That's, a, that's a, an amazing picture of how God sees us. We see ourselves as a kitten. God sees us as a lion. 
Unfortunately, too many people look in the mirror and they don't see themselves as a lion or a kitten, but as a rat. Insignificant, no good. I've messed up so much. I've done so many bad and stupid, horrendous things that I'm nothing. And you even may appreciate the forgiveness of God. You appreciate his redeeming you. But you see yourself as a type of person, you just made it in. You're in on the ground level. That's all you deserve. That's all you'll ever be. And at least you're going to heaven. And many Christians settle right there. The Bible says, do not be conformed to this world. Or another translation says, do not be conformed or or pressed into the pattern of this world. Squeeze into the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants to change our thinking. John 15, verse 7 and 8. We'll get to that in a second, but it's one of the shares. I remember, um, you know, we've been talking about healing a lot. And praise God, people have been receiving healing. I think our understanding is moving closer and closer to where we begin to understand God really does want this for me. And over the years, my thinking has been changing. And I remember years ago, as a child, I never grew up with any allergies. I never had any food allergies, never had any, any kind of allergies. And then as an adult, I remember when we lived on Arrington, uh, South Arrington years ago, 16 plus years ago. I remember when I'd cut the grass, every weekend I would catch a cold. I mean, every weekend. It's like, man, you know, my nose would be running, my eyes would be watering and itching and and all that kind of stuff. And it seemed to happen every Saturday. Well, the other activity that was consistent with every Saturday was me cutting the grass. I'm like, man, why am I catching a cold every time? And I mentioned it to somebody and someone says, oh, you probably have grass allergies. I'm like, what? I don't have any allergies. Well, sure enough, every time I cut the grass, you know, I was having a reaction to it. And so what I began to do is I, I bought those masks that you can put over your face And as long as I used that and cut the grass, I was good. If I forget to put it on, I wasn't good. Happened week after week after week after week. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, wait a minute. Why am I putting up with this? There's this thought. And it's probably the Holy Spirit now that I think of it. Why are you putting up with this? You know, it's kind of like I just got this mental image. Let's say if I'm sitting in. Clicks Steakhouse. Anybody ever been to Clicks? It's yummy, by the way. My favorite steakhouse in the area. If I'm sitting in Clicks and the food is free, or some rich person says, Hey, everybody in here, it's on me. Help yourself. And I'm sitting there hungry. I'm like, Dang, I'm hungry. And I just sit there and stay hungry. Some of you look at me and say, why are you putting up with the hunger? It's been taken care of. Do you hear what that guy said? You can order whatever you want on the menu. Week after week after week, dealing with the the allergies. Why am I dealing with, why am I putting up with this? And I remember the provision that Jesus has made for me in his word. And I said, I don't have to put up with this. Father, thank you that I'm healed. I received that. Begin to lay hands on myself. You shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Start praying for myself. I did that week after week after week after week. When I would do that, if I remembered to pray for myself before I cut the grass, I wouldn't have any symptoms. If I, forget, if I would forget to pray, I'd have symptoms. I'd be sneezing, all that kind of thing. So I did that week after week after week after week. The next year, I did it again, week after week after week. Next year, I forgot all about it. 18 years ago, no more symptoms, none. And I have more grass to cut, by the way. (laughs) But I remembered what he had done, and I was like, why am I doing this again? The food has been paid for. Why am I hungry again? And then another thing, I don't remember which one was first, but it was another situation. Again, as a child, I never had any problems with any food allergies or anything like that. I love milk. I love ice cream. 
And I remember we'd go to Brahms and, you know, buy the family ice cream, and then I'd go home, and my stomach, man, what is wrong with me? It just began to happen, and it'd go away. And every, I noticed when I would drink whole milk or eat ice cream, I'd get a stomach ache. Happened over and over. I'm thinking, what in the world's going on with me? And then I would hear people talk about being lactose intolerant. So I never heard of that growing up. And then I realized, wait a minute, I think that's what's going on here. And I thought, I don't have to put up with this. So guess what I did? For the sake of Brahms ice cream? <laughs> man, I went to battle. Hardcore. I mean, you can keep the whole milk. I'm, I'm okay with that. But the ice cream? Begin to lay hands on myself. Prayed for myself. I eat all the Brahms ice cream I want now. No symptoms, no problems. Now, some of you say, well, that's not good. I'm not talking about healthish, health, eating healthy right now. But when I realized what had been made, provided for me, and I began to apply that, agree with what he says. See, my thinking is changing, and it's beginning to line up with what he already says. And that's what he wants. That's what inception is. It's embracing his word. It's letting his word consume you. It's just like another uh, parable where Jesus showed me is just like, you know, inception is when, you know, uh, leaven. What happens when you put leaven or yeast in, in some flour? It affects the whole thing, doesn't it? That's what he wants his word to do with us. His word comes in a little piece. The kingdom, and he, he shows the kingdom is like a mustard seed, smallest seed, plant. It becomes the biggest plant. Leaven. A little bit goes in there, it affects the whole thing. He wants his word to be freely received by us, to be implanted in our hearts, our lives, and it affects our whole lives. It changes the way we think. The way we think. And so I'm not talking about positive thinking and confessing, 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 you know, until I believe it. I'm just talking about letting our mind change so we just believe it. It's just the way we think. There are things that you, ways that you think that you don't realize you think that way. It's just part of your life. Does that make sense? That's what he wants about the word. He wants us to be that way about his word. Where he says it and we agree with it. We believe it. <clears throat> John 15, 7 and 8. If you abide in me, this is Jesus talking. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Did you catch that? If you abide in me, or I'm going to read it in another translation called an expanded translation, that same passage. It says, if you maintain a living communion with me, and my words are at home in you, I command you to ask at once something for yourself, whatever your hearts desire, and it will become yours. John 14, 12 through 14. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father, my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, everyone say, whatever you ask. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And he says, okay, and if you didn't get it a second ago, check this out. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's what Jesus said. Sounds kind of like John 15, 7, doesn't it? Mark eleven twenty three. For assuredly, it's interesting how he starts these passages out. In John 14, 12, it says, most assuredly, or I think in, in the King James it says, truly, truly, or verily, verily. In other words, what I'm about to say is very important. So I'm trying to get your attention, so you hear what I say, so you will let it impact you. Mark eleven twenty three. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Doesn't that sound similar to what we just read a few minutes ago? Therefore, I say to you, Okay, if you didn't get what I just said, get this. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will. Thank you. Have them. Now, the three passages I just read, 
In most Bibles, it's read, which means Jesus, the words of Jesus. Now, if I've just read one passage, if, if one place he said something like that, you've got to be careful not to build a doctrine around one verse. Actually, it's very dangerous to build a doctrine around one verse. The word needs to confirm itself over and over and over again. Matter of fact, in the law, it said, let, let, every, let, let it, yeah. <laughs> let every truth be established by two or more witnesses, two or three, or something like that, right? And right here, I just read three passages that said almost the same thing. Jesus is trying to make a point. And here's the, here's the challenge. When I say these verses, as I've shared these verses, you guys are having battle. There's war going on. Deflection is happening. You said, okay, I hear that, but. See, because all of a sudden your mind, what you've been trained with, how you've been led to believe all these years, all of a sudden you're at war with these verses. You can't just accept that these verses mean what they actually say they mean. What well, doesn't mean I can have anything I say. What well, doesn't mean that I can, I can ask for Cadillacs and this and this and that. Now, when James it does say that we ask and receive or we don't receive because we ask amiss or we ask on our own pleasures, our own lust. So we have to think, keep things in balance and context. But he does say, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. If you pray, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. Do you realize that he's talking to you in those verses? Do you believe that? Some people say, well, he was just talking to the original disciples. I don't have time to prove that right now, but that's not accurate. Because Jesus told his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel, you know, make disciples, teach and command them to do everything that I've commanded you. And also when Jesus said these things, he says, whoever believes in me. So probably, I mean, if, I, if we search this out, we could probably see it. But maybe some of these, he might have been, just been talking to them. Specific, in other words, they might have just been around him, Jesus and his 12. But most of the time we see when Jesus is talking, it seems like he's talking to the 12, but he's talking to a whole crowd too. And he says, those who continue to believe in me, the works that I do shall you do also. The works that I do shall you do also. And greater works than these shall you do because I go to the Father. And if you ask anything in my name, he'll do it. And here's the problem. Because our mind is filled with worldly or natural or earthly carnal thoughts, we battle these and we dismiss these verses, we excuse them or we water them down. We say, well, that doesn't really mean... Because if we really believed them, there'd be a whole lot more asking and praying, wouldn't there? That's why he says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, I need to agree with him so my mind needs to be filled with his thoughts. And when I receive his thoughts, then I'm going to actually start agreeing with him and believing what he says. And then I'm going to start acting accordingly. Would you believe if I told you that God's called you to be extremely powerful and highly influential for his kingdom? He's actually called you to greatness. There's a war going on again. Some of you are immediately dismissing yourselves from what I just said. And it's okay. As long as you realize what's going on. There's a clash with your old ideology and God's thoughts. And you get to choose who's going to win that battle. Do you realize that? 
You get to choose who's going to win the battle. Are you going to maintain and keep your way of thinking? Or are you going to surrender and adopt his way of thinking? He has called you. Would you do me a favor right now and, and just kind of put your finger on your chest and point at yourself? He has called you to be extremely powerful and highly influential for his kingdom. He has called you to greatness. He has called you to greatness. Do you realize that when, you know, the disciples, remember the disciples were arguing over who was the greatest? And I'm sure Peter was the loudest. Because that's how he was. He's like, dude, did you see how many demons I cast out of that dude? Yeah, I'm bad. I'm all that. You know, they were arguing over who was the, who was the greatest. And when Jesus says, hey, what were you guys talking about a few minutes ago? And they get real quiet. Nothing. And he knew. Do you realize that Jesus never rebuked them about wanting to be great? Do you ever think of that? He never said, guys, I rebuke those thoughts about you being great. I believe that when you hang out with Jesus, when you get real close to him, that call, that desire that to be great begins to rise. Because, see, greatness lives inside of you. Bombs are going off right now. Jesus never rebuked them for being great. And actually, he says, you guys want to be great? Let me show you how. He didn't discourage them. He encouraged them. If you want to be great, let me show you how. He says, you know, in the world, they kind of lord it over each other. You know, the ones who are the greatest, they push people down. You know, climbing a corporate ladder, you step on people's heads to push them down so you can go higher. Boss people around. I'm paraphrasing. He says, that's how they do it in the world. He says, but not so for you. He who desires to be the greatest must be the greatest servant. I believe we're called, that you are called to be very influential, very powerful. And it means to be the greatest servant with his authority. So we want, just like the police, I don't know if, if it's on police cars anymore. I haven't, I keep forgetting to look. I keep wanting to look, but I keep, but you remember back in the day, some of you would remember on the police cars, it would say something like, to serve and protect. You guys remember that, that motto? And I can't remember, if, is it on there now? Anybody? Is it on the door? Okay, good. Because on some police cars, when I've been in other cities, I, I've noticed it wasn't on there. So I'm thinking, did they all take it off? That must have just been a crummy city I was in, right? <laughs> but that motto, to serve and protect, I believe that's the kingdom motto. I believe that's our motto. That the reason why God gives us his authority is to use that great authority, a great power, a great influence to serve man. To serve. I mean, if you're out and about and you see a person who's sick or, or limping or whatever, and you say, hey, how's it going? What happened to your legs? All full of arthritis in my knee. Mind if I pray for you? Believe Jesus would like to touch and heal you. Sure. You lay hands on them and pray for them, and their knees heal. Stop flirting with me right now. Get distracted. But you serve them, bless them. I think I embarrassed the teenagers. <laughs> now, I could, but I'm not going to. But when we use that, when we use our authority that way, to serve and protect, I mean, do you hear what I'm, you hear what I'm talking about? Not walking around strutting, acting all big and bad, but walking around looking for opportunities to serve. And when you hear about tornadoes coming, to your community, full of the people that you love and care about. And you say, no, you're not bringing that destruction here. And you speak to the storm just like Jesus spoke to the storm. And remember, he was the one that said, remember he said to the storm, 
Hush, be still, shut up, stop. Was he talking to God? Talking to the storm. And what did the storm do? He says, I don't have to obey you. It stopped. It shut up. It leveled out. And I have a question to ask you. The Holy Spirit asked me this question yesterday. Remember that situation. Jesus said, let us go to the other side. They get in a boat. They start going over. Storm comes. Disciples are freaking out. They're afraid. Some of those disciples are professional fishermen. So they've been in boats many times. They've been on that sea. So they recognize we're in danger. I mean, you understand what I'm saying? They recognize this was a very perilous situation. Jesus is asleep. And they wake him up and say, hey, don't you even care? We're dying here. Jesus looks at them, tells the storm to hush, be still. Storm calms down. They're freaking out. Whoa. And Jesus says, why were you afraid? My question is, the question I believe the Holy Spirit asked me was, did Jesus have an expectation of them? In other words, what else were they supposed to do? I think Jesus has had an expectation of them to do something. Of course, they didn't do it. Otherwise, why else would he rebuke them the way he did? And see, what I see in that whole scenario, Jesus gave us an example of what to do when dangerous storms are threatening your life. Because he said, those who believe in me, the miracles that I've done, shall you do also. Are you with me still? John chapter 15, verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. Now, this is the same passage. This is right after when Jesus says, If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So right after that is this. He continues, As the Father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard, that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you. These things I commanded, command you that you love one another. Okay, a side but important note, this whole, the whole basis of all that we're talking about is love. And Lisa preached on that a few weeks ago. The whole thing is about love. And right here, he's reminding us, this is what it's all about. So if we separate, we take love out of this equation, then we're missing everything. Because remember, Jesus said, it's okay to be great, but here's how you're great. It's basically loving and serving people. And when we walk in the authority that he has given us, it's for the sake of the people that we encounter or the people that we have influence over. That makes sense? Here's the next point I wanted to make. Jesus is calling you his friend. He's calling you his friend. He says, I no longer call you servant but friend because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've revealed to you. And you know, in... First or second Chronicle, Corinthians, I can't remember, I forgot to write it down. It's one of the Corinthians, 2.9, says something about, it hasn't entered, entered the, well, let me turn there real quick. Is it first or second Corinthians, Pastor Dill? First Corinthians 2.9. If you can put that up, I think it's first Corinthians 2.9. First Corinthians 2. Okay. 
It says, I has not seen, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, nor ear heard, nor have entered the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now, how many of you have heard this verse before? There's even songs written about it. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered the heart of men the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And we get all excited about that. And we sing and we dance and we celebrate. But I get excited in the next verse. It says, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. It's one thing to know that God has good stuff for us, but it's, also, it's better to know what they are. And it says he has revealed them, and he's continuing to reveal them to us by his spirit. Remember Jesus said, I'm going to go, but when I go, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the comforter. He's going to lead you into all truth. He says, the things that I've told you, you can't bear all those things right now, but he's going to remind you and teach you and tell you the things that God has for you. So God is telling us and making known to us the things he has for us, the things he wants to do. And I want to talk about this concept of being his friend. He's inviting us. You know, these things about ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. I mean, that's crazy stuff. You can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and don't doubt and it's going to happen. That's kind of crazy stuff. But he said it. And he wasn't speaking metaphorically, by the way. He wasn't using metaphors because he was saying anything you pray, believing, it's going to happen. Then he says in John 15, I no longer call you servants, but friends. What does that look like to be his friend? If you would turn to Genesis 18. Genesis 18. You know, there were two people in the Old Testament that God called his friends. Anybody tell me who they are? Say it again. Abraham and who? Okay, maybe there's more than two. Okay, Enoch. Enoch walked with God. That's not who I'm thinking about. Remember um, Moses, Abraham. And actually, Abraham, it says it. Abraham, 2 Chronicles 27, it says, Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. Whoops. I just lost my place because of technology. Hold on a second. And then James 2, verse 23, it says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Turn to Genesis chapter 18. It's like, okay, Jesus is saying, I'm calling you my friends. We just want to kind of get an idea of what that looks like. Uh, Genesis 18, starting with verse 16. Now, we know that the discourse that they had before this verse is when God and, and two angels show up, and this is where he says, this time next year when I come back, Sarah, you're going to have a kid. And Sarah laughs, ha, 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 because she's beyond, you know, she's barren, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's when the promise, when he speaks to her about you're going to have a kid. That just happened up to verse 16. Now in verse 16, it says, The men rose from there and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. In verse 20, and the Lord said, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. So basically, Abraham, excuse me, God is telling Abraham, okay, I'm about to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. The sin is great. The outcry has been great. I'm going to go check it out. If it's true, then not going to be good for Sodom and Gomorrah. He's going to go check it out. But the interesting thing was he says to the angels, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing, about to do? Because God had established a covenant with Abraham. Remember earlier on, he established a covenant, says you're going to be a father of many nations and, and the world's going to be blessed through you, et cetera, et cetera. And then that's when he said, by the way, it's about to start. Next year you're going to have a baby. 
And so God established a covenant with this man. But then he also says, should I hide from him what I'm about to do? And then he says, oh, by the way, here's what I'm about to do. And this is God talking to this man, and he explains all that. And then, let's see, Abraham responds. I've lost my place. Verse 22. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood still, still stood there before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were there, that were in it? And then he says to God, Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should also should be as the wicked, far be it from you, shall not the judge of the earth do right. Verse 26, So the Lord said, If I find us in Sodom, 50 righteous within a city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I who am just dust and ashes, have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous, would you destroy it? Destroy all of the city for the lack of five? So he said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 40. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not, I will not do so if I find 30 there. Verse 31. Then he said, indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. I mean, you kind of see this? This is God having this interaction with this man. And this man is talking God down. You know, he's, he's bargaining with him. And God's letting him. He said, okay, yeah, 30, all right, I hear you. 20, I hear you again. And then verse 32, then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. But once more, suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. I find this very fascinating because a number of times in the word we see that God was, um, excuse me, Abraham was considered a friend of God. And then it says about Moses that God would talk to Moses face to face as a friend. And Jesus is saying, I no longer call you servants, but friends. And as you read the, excuse me, as you read the word, you see this, the authority that he's given us. You see the, the power that he's making available to us. You see all this stuff. And yet he's calling us to a place of friendship. And here's kind of a glimpse of what it looks like. He invites, he's about to do something on a big scale. God is. And he's inviting this man who didn't know anything about it at the time. But he says, shall I keep from him what I'm about to do? And he says, hey, Abraham, check this out. And then they get into this discourse, and he talks God all the way down to, would you destroy it for the sake of ten? He says, I will not. If I find ten righteous, I will spare it. And now, unfortunately, we know that there wasn't ten righteous there, but he pulled the righteous who were there out, and then they destroyed, they destroyed it, the city. He has a similar discourse with Moses when the children of Israel make the golden calf. And God says to Moses, step out of the way. The stiff-necked and obstinate people, I'm about to wipe them out. And then I'll start over with you, uh, Moses. And then Moses begins to this interchange with God and says, you can't do that. Paraphrasing, you can't do that. That's not good. The enemies will say that you brought the people out there just to wipe them out and kill them. And then God says, Okay, I won't do it. So two places, it's like God is inviting these men to have interchange with him, and he allows them to influence him. That's a hard, those are hard passages to understand, aren't they? It's hard to understand. And I don't understand them fully. I don't even understand them partially. But what I feel like the Lord is showing us is what it looks like in friendship. When Jesus says, if you abide in me, maintain intimate communion with me, get close to me, let us hang out together to be close. 
And if my word is at home in you, because what's going to happen if his word becomes at home in us? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If his word is at home in us, there's going to be a transformation process. And then he says, if this happens, hang out with me, stay close to me. My word stays in you. You ask whatever you desire, and I will do it, whatever you desire. And he says, I no longer call you servants but friends. Now, here's my challenge. God is calling you. Remember, you pointed to yourself a minute ago. He's calling you to significance, to greatness, to much influence. But even higher than that, he's calling you to a level of friendship. And see, out of that friendship becomes, comes all the other stuff. Out of that friendship with him. Because we see what Jesus did. We see how he was. We see how he conducted himself in the earth. People who came up to him. Please heal me. Please touch me. Please, I'm hungry or whatever. And he took care of them. And Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. You've seen what I've done. Now I want you to go and do the same thing. And we know the love that he has for people. And he's wanting, he's inviting us to a place of intimacy with him. And then out of that, well, before I get to that, he's wanting to invite you to a place of intimacy and closeness with him so that you can begin to see yourself as he sees you. And he wants you to see him for who he really is. Because of the things that have happened to you or done to you or, or whatever, you see God incorrectly. Unfortunately, I mean, it's kind of a good or bad thing, two, sort, two sides of the coin, and how our fathers were, natural fathers were, is how we view God. And I think God made it that way because he wanted representations of himself And so as a good father, as a good earthly father, we're supposed to represent him by just loving people, loving our kids, uh, training them up, nurturing them. But unfortunately, as a father, if I'm neglectful, if I'm abusive, if I'm whatever, then I'm going to be not only damaging that person, but I'm going to give them a damaged view of God. But it doesn't have to stay that way. Just because I have a damaged view of God doesn't mean it has to stay that way. Just because I've come from a horrendous past and made bad choices. When I come to Jesus, it starts all over. Boom. Reset button. Bam. Get to go forward. And see, that's why he's inviting us to that place of intimacy. Hang out with me. Let my word be at home with you, in you. And then it's limitless. Wonderful, powerful, amazing things will happen through your life as a result of our intimacy together. Am I making sense? So it all boils, to, boils down to Jesus spending time with him. He says, if you abide in me, my word abides in you. What does that mean? That means spending time with him. That means hanging out with him. See, right now, inception has been happening. God's word has been going forward. And either you're receiving it intentionally or you're allowing your old thought process to fight it off and push it out. So I believe some of you are very hungry. You're tired of where things have been. You see the promises in the Bible. You see what God's word says. You see what what the provision is. And you're not content with how little of it you're you're receiving and walking in. And so you're saying, what do I need to do? And Jesus says, abide in me and let my word abide in you. And so we can either choose to do something or not do something. And my time is out, but I just want to share real quick six ways. Rattle these off real quick and then six, six ways of how we can intentionally participate in the transformation process. Six ways that we can intentionally participate in the transformation process. I want to say something. I can encourage you every Sunday. You come here on Sunday between 10 and 12, and I can encourage you, tell you he's called you to greatness, and say how powerful you are. 
And you're going to say, man, that's awesome. I feel good. But if I'm the only encouragement that you're listening to, it's not going to work. It's got to be beyond just me. And it's got to be beyond just another person encouraging you. If you live by the praises of man, you will die by his criticism. If you're counting on men to encourage you, now we should encourage each other. Don't miss what I'm saying. We need to encourage each other, and we're supposed to encourage each other. But if that's all the encouragement, if me saying this to you is all the only time you hear it, that's not a good place to be in. Hopefully, what I'm saying will encourage you and entice you to run to him and say, okay, Jesus, what this dude was saying, I want to know more about this. I want this. Six things we need to do. I'm going to say them all. I'm not going to have time to go into them all, but I'm going to just mention them. Number one, spending time with Jesus. That's number one. Spending time with Jesus. Number two, developing a lifestyle of worship. Number three, reading his word. Reading his word. And you say, well, why is it? shouldn't the word be number one? Maybe in some people's list, but this is my list. But the reason why I put number one, spending time with Jesus, number two, worship, and number three, his word, because some people take great pride in the fact that they've read the Bible several, several times through, that they have many scriptures memorized, and they're as dead as a doornail spiritually. They're as legalistic and religious as can be. The Pharisees, they knew the law. They could probably quote it frontwards, backwards, upside down. Just knowing the word is not enough. We need the spirit and the word. But we can't neglect the word. The word has to become extremely important in our lives. And this right here is why not knowing this, not having this, not becoming more acquainted with this is why we are where we're at. Or why many of us are still struggling with the things that we've been struggling with for the last number of years. You know, we as Christians, a lot of times we try to focus on the behavior. I need to change. I'm a Christian. I need to quit doing this. I'm not supposed to be doing this anymore. I'm a Christian. And we're focusing on the do. I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to not do this, not do this. If we be, then the do will happen. Did you catch that? If we be, when we realize who we are, it's like, whoa, this is who I am. As a, mind, as a man thinks, so is he. As we realize who we are, the actions will begin to line up with who you are. We're sitting there focusing on the do's and the don'ts. We're going to continue to struggle with the do's and the don'ts. For those of you who may be struggling with certain behavior, you know, I've shared a number of times. Years ago, I struggled with pornography. Do you know what's helped me to become victorious over that? I mean, the, the practical things of accountability and everything, but knowing who I am and being in love with him. Because it's like, when those temptations try to come, it's like, are you kidding me? Before it was a struggle, okay, I can't do this. I'm not supposed to be doing this. It's not that way anymore. My thought process has changed. I'm recognizing who I am. I'm being, and then the doing is happening. We need to quit focusing on the, on the I got to do, I got to do, I got to quit doing, I got to quit doing. Now there's, now, I mean, there's practical things we should and shouldn't do, but what I'm saying, the focus needs to be on abiding in Jesus, allowing his word to abide in you, so you see who he is, he shows you who you are, you get a hold of that, it's like, wow, this is who I am. And then the doing is going to happen or it's going to quit happening. Does that make sense? Okay, number one, spending time with Jesus. Number two, lifestyle of worship. Number three, reading his word. Number four, praying in tongues often. Number five, daydreaming. And number six, feeding on faith-filled encouragement. Feeding on faith-filled encouragement. And what I mean by that is, you know, I have some of these resources, for example, Uh, we have them out there for sale. There's worship, music. This CD right here is called, it's called Without Words. 
I usually I put this on. It's no, it's just music, worship music, but no words. I pray in tongues of this a lot. Sometimes the whole CD twice. It's about an hour and ten minutes or whatever. Just praying in tongues, building myself up. The Bible says, "He who prays in tongues edifies himself." How many of us need to be edified? Anybody? So I want to encourage you. If you don't have these, these are good worship worship materials. This is the brand new one. I uh, have it all brand new from Bethel. My son bought this for me two nights ago. He said, hey, Dad, do you have a new CD yet? I said, not yet. Wait until, you know, a new month, new money. You know how that goes, some of you, you know. I said, not yet. Next month I'm getting it. Well, then about 10 minutes later he texts me again and says, hey, check out your email. Well, he iTuned it to me. This thing is awesome. This CD right here is awesome. I think it's 14 15 bucks online. Buy it out there, $10. Ten, where else are you going to buy this for $10? Come on. Come on, somebody. Walking in Supernatural Healing Power by Chris Gore. One of my favorite books. When Heaven Invades Earth. When Heaven Invades Earth. If you want your thinking process to change, good encouragement in that way. And this one right here, Declarations. Declaration of Steve Backlund. One thing the Lord told me several months ago. I'm going to close with this. He said, I, I knew about declarations a long time ago. I learned that truth before. And basically declaring is... Coming into agreement with what God's already said. Declaring his word. saying, Declaring who he says I am. I just declare it. I just say it. I speak it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing God's word. Even if I'm speaking the word, my faith can increase as I'm hearing myself speak the word over myself. The Lord told me several months ago last spring, he says, I want you to begin to declare my word again and begin to come up and line up with what I am saying. And so I ended up buying this book because it's a very good book on declarations very good book i have a few of those out there i would encourage you to buy he showed me there's a a friend of mine a man who was not making good choices going down this path he loved god he grew up knowing loving god and everything but just making some bad choices and the lord i just put him in my heart so i began to not only pray for him but it began to declare god's word over him and one thing, knowing about his past, I said something like this. I said, Lord, I pray and I declare that he is going to get sick and tired of living in the world and he's going to miss your kingdom, that he misses your kingdom. And I was declaring those things. I was declaring those things, praying for him. And then I talked to him on the phone a little bit later. And guess what he told me? He says, you know, I'm so sick of living this way. I'm so sick of the world. I miss God's kingdom. The very things I was declaring, see, because that's that's what God wanted. I was lining up with what he was saying. And a lot of times, many of you are going through horrible circumstances. And you keep declaring those horrible circumstances. Man, my marriage stinks. Man, my finances are jacked up. Man, I'm about to get fired. I'm about to lose my job. I'm about, you know, all these things. And your faith comes by hearing. I'm about to lose my job. I'm about to lose my job. My boss doesn't like me. I'm doing a horrible job. I'm about to, you know, and you're declaring. There's the power of life and death in the tongue. I mean, either it's true or it ain't. Actually, I take that back. It's true. It's true. And you're declaring and speaking these things, these negative things. And I'm not talking about positive confession because I know there's, there's a balance in everything. I highly recommend this book. I highly recommend this. It will change because what will happen is you'll start to declare and line up with what God is already saying. And then you'll see those things begin to come to pass just like in this man's life. The very things I was declaring, he began to confess and speak to me I was tripping out. I'm like, what? So let's stand up together. And if the ministry team would come forward. I could stand up here and try to talk you into Realizing the provision that God has made, whether it's for healing, 
your finances, whatever the case is, I can say, you know, God has this for you. God has this for you. He wants you to have this. He wants you to have that. And I will continue to do that, by the way. But here's what he wants. He wants you to come and start hanging out with him. He wants you to start hanging out with him, being intentional. See, because a lot of us say, well, you know, I wish I had more time to spend time with Jesus. If you don't have time, something's got to change, period. Something's got to change. Only if. Now, if you're content with where you are, keep doing things the way you're doing them. If you're good with that, well, you're good with that. I'm not. But if you want to change, if you're like, I'm tired of this, then say, Jesus, starting tomorrow, you and I are going to start hanging out. And start intentionally setting time. Use your smartphone if you need to. Use whatever technology you need to. Every day at 8 a.m., a little notice pops up on here and it says pray in tongues. Every day, 8 a.m. Reminds me, oh, yeah, I haven't done that yet. Use technology, whatever you need to do, because sometimes it's like, oh, man, I forgot. I forgot. Just don't leave it up to our little brains to remember. You can use technology as well. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are just amazing. And we thank you that you called us to yourself. And you're inviting us to a high level of friendship, which is crazy to think about. The king of the universe inviting me to be his friend. You're inviting us, Father, to, to uh, interact with you, with you and to somehow, whatever that looks like, to even influence maybe what you're going to do. We don't understand all that, but Lord, we just accept your invitation of friendship. We accept you. We're coming after you, Jesus. You're going to be very busy this week because we're all going to be hanging out with you. And I just thank you, Father, for that hunger. Thank you for grace, 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 grace to enable us to carve out that time to push busyness aside and say, Lord, I'm coming after you. And I just thank you for your grace on every person here, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.